great time of worship together and to now turn our hearts and our minds towards God's word and his teaching. We're in this series that we are wrapping up today. We've been in it all summer called Summer on the Mountain. So every Sunday we've been taking some time to retreat into the mountains where Jesus, uh, we joined Jesus as his disciples have followed him up on the hillside. The crowds have been with him and he's been teaching us these amazing truths of the kingdom. And it's this upside down kingdom that is so unlike some of the teaching what the people have heard before. And it's challenging the disciples to say, how do we live this kind of life? And this is a different kind of life. And, and Jesus is just opening up this, this new reality to his followers. And so we join him each and every week and, and hearing what he's saying. And today we're coming to the closing of his Sermon on the Mount. And what every good speaker or communicator knows is at some point at the end, you have to bring your message to a close. And you want people to know what is it they're supposed to know. And more importantly, what am I supposed to do with this? What, what's the point? What difference does it make? And so Jesus, in the same way, he's wrapping up his message today, and he's going to let us know what difference does it make. What are we supposed to do with this? And in the end, what he's longing for, for all of us, is life transformation, that we would be changed and transformed by the words and the teachings of Jesus. But I wonder sometimes, why does transformation not happen? Or how does transformation happen? You know, we can gather in this place and in different spaces 52 times a year. Every Sunday we can come together, we can hear God's word. All summer long we can join Jesus on the mountain. We can hear the Sermon on the Mount. We walk away from these truths about how to live our life in relation to, you know, people and to money and to finances and to our faith. And yet we can walk away and go, nice, nice message, Pastor. That was great. And by Sunday afternoon, Monday, we kind of forget and life goes on, and the reality is change is hard. But these words and the, and, and the scriptures and this teaching of Jesus has the power to transform our lives, and yet, yet change is hard in our lives. Change is difficult. I, I, uh, you know, fall is coming, and, and soccer season is beginning again, and, and high school soccer's already on the go, and I've got, uh, I got my roster for my rec soccer team. I coach some middle school girls. I'm only gonna do one team this year, so that makes it a little bit easier for me. 20 girls on that roster, and, and uh, some of them are, have played uh, several years with me or in soccer, and I know some others that are gonna be starting that are just, uh, this will be their first time playing soccer. And so when, when they start playing soccer, or some that have never maybe learned correctly, one of the things that, that they do to kick a soccer ball to make it go far when you don't know how to kick a ball far is you take your toe, the hardest part of your shoe, and you go boom, and you kick the ball. And it's called a toe poke or a toe punch. And it works great, sort of. But I spend my entire time coaching, teaching kids, do not do that. That is not how you kick a soccer ball. Now, we're not here to have a coaching clinic on soccer. But what happens is that's just the way they're programmed, the way that it works. They've never used their feet. And so to try to unprogram that is incredibly hard to teach them the proper way to approach a ball, different ways to kick it because of this thing called muscle memory, right? And so you teach them, and the very next thing, okay, got it, coach. Boonk, next year, right? We have to, and, and we've all know that in our lives, there's certain things that are so hard to unprogram and change, and you have to kind of take step by step to learn one piece at a time, and eventually you'll learn a new discipline, and life changes, but it's hard to change. I was at the uh, doctor recently, I haven't been to the doctor in a long time, and my wife finally said, Mark, you're starting to near that mid-century mark. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm nearing that mark. Uh, I'm not quite as far as Roger over here. Yeah, Chloe, good job. <laughs> Well, we celebrate that milestone for you there, my, my, my buddy Roger. All right. But, um, but, but so I went to the doctor and, you know, checking the heart and lungs and, you know, things are looking good, thankfully. And I'll check that thing, you know, that little, you know, thing on your skin. We'll, t we'll send that away and we'll do some blood work. And everything came back pretty good. But, you know, cholesterol's getting a little high. Like, uh, 
You know, you lay off a little bit, of, you know, maybe a little less butter and a little bit greasy foods or whatever and, and, and the mayo. And if you guys have been around me, I like, I'm German. I like to eat my uh, French fries with mayonnaise. And um, yeah, that's a little weird, I know, but it's good. Um, and it served me well so far. Um, but it's like no big deal, you know, make a couple little changes. Well, that was a few weeks and months ago. And I'm sorry to say right now, I've zero have changed my diet. And it's one of those things, it's like, you know, I know what the doctor said, I know what I'm supposed to do, and it doesn't seem like it's that hard, I should just be able to do it, and yet it's so hard to break the habits and the routines and the pleasures and the joy of whatever it is in life, and, and I know I need to work on that, so this is sort of like some accountability here, but I don't know if I wanna ask for that quite yet uh, on that part. But change is difficult, and I think the older we get, the harder it is to change, would you agree with that? I think it's absolutely true, the line, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You know, a young puppy's learning, eager and whatnot, the older you get, eh, whatever, I'm not paying attention. It's harder as we get older, and it's harder in our faith, it's harder when we've been, you know, either believers for a long time to make some changes, or even just in, in our adult lives, or coming to Christ later in life, it's harder. I think about years where I got to work with students especially and, and how eager many times they were to make those changes in those earlier years, in middle school and high school and college in their 20s, but, but that even begins to slow down a little later, but there's this desire, and I, I remember every year we would do this uh, rally called See You at the Pole. It's a national thing. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's on the fourth, uh, fourth Wednesday of every September, and we would organize this with all the youth groups in our, in our city, and we would challenge the students. You know, On that day, before school starts, Gather at your flagpole and pray for your school, pray for your city, pray for this nation. And I think one of the most intimidating places to be a follower of Christ is in a public school. I mean, I think when we're older and we're adults and we have our circle of friends and maybe some sense of who we are and it's not always easy in workplaces and in certain settings, but man, as a teenager, that is hard. That's a difficult place to be. Because, and so for these students to show up at, you know, at school that morning, maybe 15 minutes, half an hour beforehand, gather at their school's flagpole and start and, and pray. And hear people maybe you know, sharing a message or a Bible study and then maybe some places there was worship. Some schools had, had hundreds of kids and it was like kind of encouraging to see that many around. Other schools, there was maybe three, four, five that would gather around there. And you know what was tough? When the buses pulled up when the parents would drop off the other kids and those kids were walking past them and going, what are they doing at the flagpole? Why are they praying? But there was a courage and there was a boldness to, to put some of the stuff into practice, to stand up and to do that. And I see that eagerness in, in, in younger ages to do that. And I think today as we wrap up the Sermon on the Mount saying, what difference does it make? What change would Jesus have us make? How, how is it gonna play out? Are we gonna walk through this whole summer and look at the Sermon on the Mount and say, ah, I got some more knowledge, that was good, I know more about what it means and Nothing has fundamentally changed in our lives. We've not put anything into practice. Well, Jesus doesn't want his message to end in that way too. And he really lets us know what the stakes are that are at play when it comes to living in the kingdom and following Jesus. So you guys ready to jump into the final passages of the Sermon on the Mount? We're gonna be in part nine today. We're gonna look at an unshakable foundation is where, uh, is where we end up. I want you, as we've been doing, just to listen to Jesus' teaching. Pretend we were on the, you know, on the side of the mountain and uh, you're hearing Jesus teach. He's now coming towards the end of his, of his sermon. And uh, here's where we pick up in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Just listen to these words. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad 
and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains come in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Matthew wraps up this passage and he says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us the privilege of joining you on this mountainside to hear your teaching, to get a glimpse of what these kingdom truths look like and how we can live in a transformed life. Father, today, help us not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Open our eyes and our hearts to what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this passage, and, and we, I began uh, with the golden rule. Really what I see here, this, is, this marks the transition to the ending of the sermon. I think Jesus has just been teaching all kinds of truths of the kingdom, and he's now trying to boil it down. He's saying, all right, Basically, let me, let me put the cookies on the bottom shelf. If anyone hasn't understood everything I've said here, let me just boil it down to you into one simple statement. One simple statement, and we've all know this rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He says, this summarizes all that is taught in the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets, we have this Bible, right? This Old Testament, there's all kinds of teachings, all kinds of laws. People have dedicated their lives to understanding it. The scribes, the Pharisees were trying to understand every little piece of this, and Jesus said, let me just just summarize it for you in one fell swoop. Do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. What I think is so profound about this, one, is we can all remember it. One, it's a challenging, uh, two, it's a challenging thing. But what I really see here is is that Jesus is trying to tell us, I don't just want you to learn a lot of stuff. I don't want you just to hear about all these different truths of the kingdom and just kind of let them change you and maybe do some things, you know, for your own spirituality and your own faith and and this personal thing that you have. No, in the end, everything that I'm teaching, in the end, what it boils down to is how do you treat others? How do you live this out each and every day? Does this make an ounce of difference in the way that you encounter other people? 
at work, at home, at school, in your neighborhood, on a sports team, wherever you are, what difference does that make? Treat other people the way that you want to be treated. And so we see right here at the end already, Jesus, as he makes this transition from summarizing his teaching to now what we need to do with it and the impact it has, he's saying it's gotta make a difference and it has to lead to action. So many times we love to just stay in the realm of understanding and learning and going, wow, that's some neat truth. But Jesus is saying it has to take action. And so then as he closes out after this, this, this amazing teaching, right, the simplicity of do unto others, now he's gonna talk about two roads, two trees, and two houses. Right, I read it and we heard it, but he's talking about two roads, two trees, and two houses. And when anyone teaches with this dichotomy of two things, what's being taught is there's a difference to be made. There's a choice to be made. And, and what Jesus is challenging us is to find ourselves in these illustrations. And to ask ourselves, which are we? Which road are we on? Which tree are we? Which house, which builder are we? And really asking us to do some assessment on this because there are different outcomes in our life depending on the choices that we make. And so Jesus begins here with the two roads, right? Beginning Matthew 7, verse 13, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. I don't like this tension. I want the wide, easy road that everybody's on to be the one that leads to life. Anyone else with me, right? I mean, that's what we want. Nobody wants to swim against the stream. Nobody wants to go against the flow. Nobody wants to have to find that narrow gate and then to be like, oh, and the promise is that it's gonna be hard and difficult for you. But what's the destination? Where does the road lead? It doesn't matter if the road is great and gravy and easy, but where does it ultimately lead? What is the destination? And Jesus is saying there are two very different destinations that we are following. Are you gonna follow the ACDC route or the Led Zeppelin route? <laughs> are you on the highway to hell? Or are you gonna take the stairway to heaven? All right, that's what, that's, I don't know that we wanna follow the theology of either of these bands, but they did, they did make, some interesting music back in the 70s. What path are you on? Are we choosing? Because there is a destination, there is an end route where, where we're heading with these things. And, and as I think about the wide road, that is so, it's just culture. It's where we're at, it's what we see, it's what we hear at the office, it's what the kids are doing at school, it's what's on social media, it's what, it's what the news is, is pushing us through, it's what, um, it's just what culture all around us is doing in Hollywood and entertainment. It's just the way the world and culture is going and that's the way we're so easily swept up into that. But you know where the flow leads? If you go with the flow, ultimately leads where? The sewer. If you go with the flow, it ultimately leads to the sewer. Leads to the drain, at least the place you don't wanna be. And what Jesus is calling us to is saying, we've gotta change, we've gotta transform our minds, we gotta go in a different route, we have to find a different path, and there is a narrow path, and that path leads to life. And his desire is to say, I want you to find it, all the truths I'm teaching about this kingdom. There is life on the other side of that, this other path, you can walk it your whole life in ease and, and enjoyment and entertainment and no, no stress with the people around you, but you know where it's gonna end? It's gonna end in death and destruction. But you need to find this other road. And you know the way you find the other road? You know why it's hard to find? Because he's saying there's a narrow gate 
There's a narrow gate. There's one way into that road. There's, there's one, one pathway, one, one determining piece that, that's so critical. And, we, and, and it's popular in our culture to, today to say, you know what? All roads lead to God. All religions lead to God. You know, everybody, everybody finds their way to God eventually. You cannot be a follower of Christ and hold that view. You cannot be a follower of Christ and hold that view because the centerpiece of our faith, Jesus Christ, does not hold that view. He's very clear. There is a narrow gate, and only few find it, and that narrow gate is one gate. We talked about it even last week in John 10, verse 9. Jesus said, I am the gate. I am the door. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, let me put it in terms that Columbusians, Columbusites, what are we called? Ohioans, whatever we're called. Um, We have a university here that isn't just Ohio State University. It's what? The. We have no problem being exclusive about our school. This is the Ohio State University, but don't talk about Jesus being the way. You know, we have to have lots of possibilities. So we're gonna say Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There is no other. This is the one. This is the pinnacle. It is Jesus. And so he minces no words about that. And he's saying, but if you choose that route, if you follow this path, if you look for me and my truths, there's going to be a difficult road. There's going to be some challenges. You're going to swim against the stream. But you know what? In the end, you know what you find? You find life. And there's life even on the other side of that path, not just in eternity, but there's life already on the other side of that gate. You're going to discover where true life is. So Jesus is beginning to say, look, there's two roads. Now let's pick this road. And so what happens when you go down either road? Well, then now he moves to to two trees. And he's talking about false prophets and others. But really at the bottom line is he's talking about these two trees. Quite simple, right? You have a good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. And he's saying, you know what's at stake here? It's our actions. It's the way we live that out. At the very end of this passage, he says, um, just as you identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So he's saying again, it's not just this thing where just believe something, oh, it's my private belief, it's just internal, it's just between me and God, it's my spirituality. No, this makes a difference. How do you live? How do you live? You can believe whatever you want, but if there's not fruit that's coming from that in your life that's being displayed, that's an indication that the transformation hasn't happened that God's Holy Spirit isn't in you, that you're not changing and growing. The fruit is ultimately what comes from that tree. And so he's saying, what is the fruit? Look at it because the fruit is evidence. He's saying that's the evidence. That's what you can look to in the lives of people around you. Don't listen to just what they're saying and all the things they're spouting off and all the the self-help and the how-tos that are out there and all the videos and all the gurus and all the, you know, find your meta and your universe and your, you know, your, I don't even know what all this crazy stuff is out there. But look at their lives. And look where it leads. Ultimately, look at the fruit around you. We had a celebration of life service, a funeral here yesterday for the Hamiltons, for Jim and Doris, both uh, passing away this year within weeks of each other. They were founding members of this congregation here, the Fourth Avenue Church first, then they came here, and their, their life and ministry in this place. And as you hear their story and the struggles and the challenges and the triumphs, and, and you look at all that, and ultimately you step back and say, where's the fruit? Was there any fruit in their life? Lots of fruit in their life. Lots of fruit in their life. There's evidence. There's evidence that you look around. You look at their kids. You look at their grandkids. You hear the stories, the friends that are here in the church, the, 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 the kids that, you know, that, that grew up on their street, the neighbors here celebrating that. It made a difference in all these different places. There's fruit. There's evidence. 
We have no question to say there, that is a good tree. And that is a good tree that weathered all kinds of storms and challenges, but found life, and the evidence is, is clearly on display. When, when Paul is writing to the churches, and he's, he's trying to ground them, and he's saying, look, there's gonna be some evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And we've, we've heard, if you've been in the church, the fruit of the Spirit. This is what, what Jesus is talking about, the good fruit on a tree. How is that evidenced? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, just even wrapping our minds around that a couple years ago, we took a whole summer to just take one of these every week. But there's, that's transformation. If you live in that way, if you have that kind of fruit in your life, how amazing can that be? But it's so easy to, to talk a big game, to wax eloquently about biblical matters or theology or current events and how things should be done in different places and ideas, but in the end, it's gonna come down to what, what's the fruit? What's the evidence in your life? As somebody looks at your life, is there good fruit in those around you? Is there good fruit in your demeanor? You know, that's, that's where it's gonna show up. But here's another piece. It's possible to do the right things with the wrong heart. So it's not just the right actions. It's not just saying, hey, you know, I'm doing all these things. Jesus in this whole next section talks about be careful, you know. There's gonna be people who are gonna come to me on that last day, and even that's a kind of a crazy statement for Jesus to say. Think about his listeners saying, one day you will stand before me in eternity. And it's like, oh, yeah, what's Jesus saying? He's God. He's gonna be there, and he's saying there's gonna be people who are gonna say, you know, but, but we went to church every Sunday. We even put something in the giving boxes. I even served in one of the ministries. Wouldn't it be scary for him then to say, well, I never knew you? I mean, that's kind of a wake-up call. It's a challenge for us. What Jesus is, is getting at here is he's saying, is your life congruent inside and what you do for the public eye with what is also happening behind the scenes? Is your life listening to what, what Jesus' will is? He's saying, do the things, in another translation says, you did things that weren't authorized. So we're having to seek God and say, are, are we doing what you've called us to do? God, am I in your will? Am I pursuing what you've called me to do? And that, that, that reminds us to be humble in this and just to come before God and say, I, I wanna make sure that I'm in the right path and the right way with Jesus. Let's not just go through motions, but really let's get at the heart of this. And, in a, and so we choose this, this road that leads to life. Our life begins to, to bear fruit. And then Jesus brings the whole teaching together here with a closing illustration of these two houses, these two builders. Right, anyone, he says in Matthew 7, 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rains come in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. On the other hand, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Wise or foolish. And it will reveal what the foundation is. It will reveal what's at the heart, what's at the core. It's the storms that reveal our foundations, not the sunshine. Right? Can you attest to that in life? It's the storms that reveal our foundations, not the sunshine. When life is going well, when things are good, when everything's hunky-dory and peachy keen and, and rainbows and lollipops and unicorns and all those good things in our life and, and lucky charms, right? Then, great, that's not a test. But when the storms come, when the challenges come, when things are difficult, that's when we're gonna see. We had some recent examples of this in physical structures. 
tragic examples of this, when you think about sunny Surfside, Florida, the condominium that collapsed, looked great from the outside, but over time, the storms, the weathering, there's something wrong in the construction and the foundation, and it collapsed in a tragic, tragic way. And then we saw the, the images uh, I'm sure you saw in the news from some of the flooding that took place in, in Germany and in Belgium. I mean, cities wiped out, centers of town, just the streets gone and everything revealed, things collapsed, washed away, hundreds dead. It's the storms when they come, that's where we're tested. And so we have to look at our life and say, what are we standing on when the storms come? You don't build the foundation in the middle of the storm. You, you need to build your foundation when the sun's shining. That's when you need to get out there. That's when you need to figure it out and say, okay, what are we building on? And building is a lifelong process that begins with choosing the right foundation. And so in all of this, when Jesus is bringing this all back, he said, we can talk about all this thing we're gonna do in our life, all these ambitions and goals, but if you don't start with the right foundation, you're building in vain. If you don't have Jesus as the cornerstone, if Jesus is not who we're building our life on, everything else is in vain. You're gonna end up choosing the wrong path that leads to death. There's not gonna be fruit on your tree. And in the end, when a storm comes, not just sometime in the future and eternity, but in this life, you're gonna crash and it's gonna collapse. And I've been amazed throughout my years of, of, of ministry and just the, the storms that people of God have faced, the tragedy, the difficulty, just, just you know, whether it's, whether it's physical illnesses, relational losses, death, financial turmoil, just things that will rock your world and the faithfulness of those who have built their foundation on Christ saying, you know, maybe some of this other stuff is torn down, but this foundation will not fail. You see, we live in a very vain society. We love to spend our time on, you know, on, on the drapes and the floors and the paint, the color of our front door and how we look on social media and make sure everything plays out right publicly and, and what's the image that we have, image management and our, you know, our LinkedIn you know, profiles and all these things. It's all window dressing. But when the storms come, it doesn't matter what color the drapes are, right? It doesn't matter what color the front door is. It doesn't matter what those things are. It's where is the foundation and the bedrock. So Jesus brings all this together and he just, his desire is he doesn't want our house to collapse. He doesn't want our life to be in ruin. He wants us to experience life in all its fullness that comes from him. So when we step back, we have to look and say, all right, well, there's two here all along. <laughs> Which one am I? Which one are you? Which path have you chosen? Which path are you currently walking on? My guess is if you're not finding resistance or challenge as it relates to culture and the world around you and the values that you hold, if you're not finding any resistance, you're probably on the wrong path. Because the road to life is not easy. It goes against the flow. Students, college students, young people in this life, I challenge you, swim against the flow and find life. And when you think about the fruit, what evidence is there in your life of this goodness of God, of this foundation? What, what kind of fruit is there? Be honest, assess in your own life. Jesus doesn't spell it out for you. He's just saying, here's the reality. Now you go home and you process this. You take this in. What kind of fruit is there in your life? And if the fruit is rotten or if there's no fruit growing or if the tree is dried up and you're just dead inside or spiritually, there's opportunity to let your roots grow into Christ. And finally, he says the foundation. How much effort and time have we built on the foundation? What is your foundation? Is it financial success? Is your foundation love and relationships? I mean, those are great things God gives us in life. 
but unless they're built on the foundation of Christ, those things will not sustain. Every good uh, summer vacation comes to a close. <laughs> Every trip up the mountain ends with a time down the mountain where you come back to reality. After every Sunday, there's a Monday. How is this lived out? What do we do with this? How have we spent this entire summer on the mountain with Jesus, and what difference in the end is it gonna make in our lives? We talk a lot here about just next step. What's your next step? What's your next step? You don't have to take all the steps at once, but what's your next step? How do you move closer to Christ? How do you move towards that gate? How do you move towards the narrow path? How do you... Take that step towards Christ to build that foundation in him. Or as you look at all the teachings uh, that, that were covered in, in the Sermon on the Mount, it can be overwhelming. This morning, and I actually, I just encourage you to do this. If you have a Bible app or you have the, a physical Bible, read the message translation of the Sermon on the Mount. The message, uh, it's actually a par- more of a paraphrase than a translation, but it just paints it, and again, and it gives you another angle on it. And if you have the Bible app, you can just hit the little speaker button and you can just listen to it. And as you listen to it, it's just like, wow, Jesus, this is not easy. This is challenging, but it's radical and it's life transforming. And when I imagine the body of Christ being those kinds of people, us being those kind of people in this world, it's gonna stand out. And what did Jesus say at the beginning of the Sermon Sermon on the Mount? He said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth, right? Salt stands in contrast to what's around it. Light shines into darkness. And the way we're gonna do that is we live in a way that is in the upside down kingdom that brings us to life and brings the world around us to life. So let's thank Jesus for just this amazing teaching, but let's go home and really take in and say, God, what do you want me to do with this? How does life transformation happen? Do I just listen and move on? Or am I the wise builder who listens and obeys? What's a step you need to take? Maybe your step today is to actually say, I don't have a foundation in Christ. Today, you can begin on that foundation. The most important decision you can make in your life, say, I've been building on everything but Christ, and it's time for me to get back to that foundation, to to come, to surrender my sin, to my life, to lay it down and say, Jesus, I wanna start clean. I wanna start fresh, wipe the slate clean, and on this foundation, from this day forward, Jesus, I'm building on you and you're gonna feel your spirit come alive in Christ like only he can bring. Why not today? We have time in our service to respond and we often do a song after our message. We've got places where you can go and pray. You can light a candle. You can pray with somebody or just in the space where you're at, but make this a time where you respond to what God's spirit is speaking in you. Only you know and God knows what he's prompting you to do, to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just the, the gift of this teaching that's been preserved for us in the scriptures as your disciples were there and hearing these words, as you called your people up on a hillside and just taught, just showed us a different picture of what this world can be like. Father, we're inundated with so much noise and so much of the, the flow of, of culture around us. Help us to rise up, help us to stand up. Father, I pray for for everyone in this place, God, in the different places we are. Some of us are in family situations where where we're the only one who has a foundation on you and, and it's hard to be a follower of Christ. God, give us grace and love. Help us to shine a light. Father, I pray for our students going back to school, whatever age, whatever grade, whatever level. Father, that they would have boldness to just be who you called them to be, to be light, to be salt. God, to, to be firm on the foundation that is you. 
Father, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, uh, may we be people of your upside down kingdom. God, may we not just live on a mountain, but God, come down in the valley, come down in, into the everyday uh, and be your people in this place and in this time. We give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen.